Welcome to the One Life Maps podcast. Here's your host and co-author of Listen to My Life, maps for recognizing and responding to God in my story, Sharon Swing. Greetings, everyone. This is Sharon Swing. Today, I am around the table with Joan Kelly and Sybil Towner, and we are so glad to be together. And today, we're going to be talking about a book that actually Sybil, later this week, um, is going to be doing Sybil's Book Club based on this particular book. Every month, Sybil chooses a book and has a community of people that dial in for a conversation. She selects books that are at the intersection of life story and spiritual development. And this month's book is going to be A Grace Disguised. Now, that conversation will be over before this podcast releases. But the content of this book, we wanted to not just limit to the people that are subscribed to be members of that book club. But um, we wanted to bring part of the conversation to all of you. The book is called Grace Disguised. How the Soul Grows Through Loss by Jerry Sitzer. And this book has been around for a little while, if I remember correctly. Uh, really over 20 years. 95 and then 2004. So what makes this book worth reading? Um, I think the honesty with which Jerry speaks about... Um, really deep and tragic loss, a car accident that took his mother, his wife, and his four-year-old daughter. Mm -hmm. um, and the survivors were three other children, two, sort of six or two, five, and eight, and, uh, and Jerry himself. And it, it, you would know, any of you listening, dramatically changed his life. Yeah, so it's his journey with yeah. grief, and yes. it really is kind of a classic book. I, I just, I think you follow along in his journey, and you see the choices he's made mm -hmm. along the way. And I think with the other experience that uh, I've had in listening to people who have uh, suffered a variety of losses, but certainly a person, the loss of a person through death, um, is... This book is one that is named by most mm -hmm. everybody I have been in touch with as one that has been deeply meaningful uh, to them. So it speaks to me in that it speaks to people who are really grieving and uh, that... Um, are in the, the, the real throes of it, mm -hmm. yes. in the midst mm -hmm. of it. Yeah, they say, this is on my bookshelf, and, and then they pull it out again. Because mm -hmm. wherever you are in that journey, which actually doesn't end, um, you can see it in a different way. And that's actually what happened to Jerry. Uh, Zondervan went to him 10 years after he wrote this and said, would you rewrite it based on where your life is today? And um, Jerry reread the book um, mm -hmm. and uh, and was really surprised by what he had written and said, I don't think there is anything that I want to change. So they did a fresh edition of the book, and at the end of that uh, end of the book, there is an epilogue where he writes about what where he is 10 years later. 
And then there is another book. They came to him another 10 years later, and he uh, wrote a book called A Grace Revealed, which is where is he in this journey of grief now 20 years later? Mm -hmm. And so I think the thing that speaks to us is this is a road now that you are on. And uh, it has shifts and changes, but you don't get off this road. Right. I think one thing that's helpful, Sybil, is when you're in the midst of grief is reading other people's stories. And there's some powerful things in there is it allows you to kind of pull out of your own story and see, you know, it's like the drone thing of pulling away and kind of looking down on and just being curious about somebody else. Um, and that's what this book I think helps mm-hmm. people do. Yes. It actually gives you permission. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so when you are listening to story in, in that regard, what we know in our work of listening, uh, in, uh, in listen to my life is that we know it, someone else's story always touches our story. Mm-hmm. And if we're paying attention that's the place that God might be wanting to speak to us. Mm-hmm. And so then Jerry, through his writing, or what we're speaking about here, has really um, provided the on-ramp for us to be able and to I connect. I think it gives you some language, I think, perhaps. Mm-hmm. So, so oftentimes you go through grief and maybe you're not a person who has a lot of words. To read someone else's story gives you some new words or you go, Oh, I've felt that too, but I never had any words around that. So to be able to read it and go, Oh, that person empathizes with me. They see it as I see it. Mine has a little different twist on it, but it gives me some words that there's healing in those words. Yes. I, I think as some of the people that I've listened to in grief, that unnamed emotion, Mm -hmm. it just kind of hangs there and haunts. It's like I can't quite get my, I can't do anything with it. But once it's named, somehow or another, that's a piece of being able to work with it Mm -hmm. in some Mm -hmm. way. Joan, when did you encounter this book? Um, That is a good question. Um, uh, We lost our son nine years ago to leukemia and... It had to be shortly after that, um, probably in um, a grief workshop at church, to be honest, and somebody else recommended it. There you go. So you've got a quote for us to start our conversation today. Um, I'm going to start. It's on page 41. And um, Jerry right here, he actually uh, is referring to a poem written by a man named John Don, D-O-N-N-E. And he says in John's poem that, he remarks about how the East and the West seem farthest removed on a map and that they eventually meet on a globe. So then he goes on to quote, what therefore appears as opposites East and West in the time come together. If we follow one or the other long enough and far enough. Then he says later on that his sister, Jerry's sister, Diane told me that the quickest way for anyone to reach the sun and the light of day is not to run west, chasing after the setting sun, but to head east, plunging into the darkness until one comes to the sunrise. So Sybil, as you hear that, like what, what comes to mind? 
Well, I think uh, it's counterintuitive. Mm -hmm. <laughs> why, why would I go into the darkness? Why would I not be drawn to, uh, to the light? And why would I not want to get away from the thing that has, has just undone my life in every way, shape, and form? Uh, so... So that is a part of so much of life that it isn't quite the way we think it is. And, and it's also not an either-or. There, there are no quick steps. So now it's bringing together east and west and that the darkness is a part of the journey. And I just lean into a portion of scripture in Psalm 139. He says, the darkness is not dark to him. The darkness is as light. And so there's an invitation to trust. And again, when you have experienced loss, trust is shattered and uh, often removed. So for Jerry to be in this space of his journey, and you notice that it was his sister who uh, shared with him, he had a companion. Mm -hmm. His sister and brother-in-law journeyed with him and stayed with him in conversation and actually were a deep part of this book mm -hmm. coming into play. So so just on that side note, this is not a journey to take by yourself. Mm -hmm. this, is a, this is a journey where a companion or some companions can be extremely helpful because mm -hmm. there is a darkness that you do not think you will ever come through or out of. And it comes back in different ways. But the darkness isn't dark to God. The darkness is as light. And there's a quote that's in the, um, the beginning of, that's in this book that's by C.S. Lewis saying you have to die before you die, which is, feels a bit harsh because we're, we want to live. But a part of this journey is dying to the way we thought life would be the way we expected life to be. Mm. And, and the thing that Jerry does in this book is he doesn't just refer to uh, the loss of a member of your family or of a dear friend, but he includes the loss of a job mm -hmm. or he includes um, betrayal or he includes... a. Um, infertility. He mm -hmm. includes divorce. He includes abuse because all of those are about something that you cannot change. Mm -hmm. And so now you are in a world where what you spoke, Sharon, before, that there's a new language. There's a new language that needs to be learned. And I don't have words for this, and I'm I'm stumbling and 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 falling to try to get some words. I think the lack of words also. I actually had somebody say, "Well, I feel 
like stupid because I can't even find words to talk about it. You know, so it's just this, there's so much loss, but also there's this loss of, of an ability to take care of myself that, that, that's also a part of this. And, and this kind of groping in the dark that seems like it's futile and endless and, and which only exacerbates the, the emotional depth of lostness in mm-hmm. the middle of it. Mm-hmm. And so I do think that the reading of other people's stories, although it seems kind of odd and almost morbid some way or right. whatever else, right. to, to, to almost be a voyeur into someone else's loss. Right, because you find the words there. And right, yeah, it is. It's frustrating mm-hmm. when you can't find the words to capture it or contain it mm-hmm. even. Like sad just doesn't cut it, right? No. So that's why oftentimes like things like art therapy or where you can use color or some other kind of medium, like, because the minute I say the word sad, like that diminishes, you know, what happened. Yeah. It's, it's much bigger than sad. Yeah. 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 Words don't. And even if you find the words, the words don't quite get Mm -hmm. it. No. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I was, I was at a friend's home the other day, one of our listen to my life facilitators and she's an artist, and there was a painting on her wall that um, I said, so what was happening when you painted that? And she hadn't identified it as her painting. I just figured that it was. And there was so much emotion expressed in that painting. And so she told me the story of what was going on and how that painting the act of doing that painting reminded or helped her to express some of the things that she couldn't get to another way. Mm-hmm. And, but yet now she, she hangs it on her bedroom wall, not as a, um, as a way to, basically how she looks at it is a, is a way to reflect on where she has come from. Mm-hmm. It marks a, yeah. a point in time for her right. that she realizes she now in retrospect she's more resilient than she thought she was and almost like she only she needs to know the layers of that painting behind there mm-hmm. of what was going on for her inside mm-hmm. and she knows that and that marks that moment and not only does the, in the sense of marking that moment you have gone beyond words mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's really interesting for us to track a little bit with um, uh, with the companion, his sister, Jerry's sister, but to, but actually to read, and you can read that, Joan, before, the, the dream that uh, Jerry had just, um, just before, where he had a kind of waking dream. Read mm-hmm. that and see. Sure. He says, I had a kind of waking dream shortly after that caused, I am sure, by that initial experience of darkness. I dreamed of a setting sun. I was frantically running west, trying desperately to catch it and remain in its fiery warmth and light. But I was losing the race. The sun was beating me to the horizon and was soon gone. I suddenly found myself in the twilight, exhausted. I stopped running and glanced with foreboding over my shoulder to the east. I saw a vast darkness closing in on me, I was terrified by that darkness. I wanted to keep running after the sun, 
though I knew that it was futile, for it, it had already proven itself faster than I was. So I lost all hope, collapsed to the ground, and fell into despair. I thought at that moment that I would live in darkness forever. I felt absolute terror in my soul. Mm-hmm. So if you and I here can hold that, and then someone who is listening, and God could do this in any way he wanted, but he loves using us and having us bless one another, that someone had written some words that connected to that dream. That poem was not given to Jerry as, um, as a standalone. Connected to the actual experience and uh, where in some ways, and this happens to us, I think, in grief, where we come to the very end of ourselves. And there's We're, a choice there. I mean, yes. that's what, what Jerry talks about uh, quite vividly is like, there's a choice. Um, if you go a little further, he says, um, I discovered in that moment that I had the power to choose the direction my life would head. Even if the only choice open to me, at least initially, was either to run from the loss or to face it as best I could. Since I knew that darkness was inevitable and unavoidable, I decided from that point on to walk into the darkness rather than to try to outrun it, to let my experience of loss take me on a journey wherever it would lead, and to allow myself to be transformed by my suffering rather than to think I could somehow avoid it. I choose to turn towards the pain, however falteringly, and to yield to the loss, though I had no idea at the time what that would mean. It's a pretty powerful choice. Mm. Oh, my goodness. And it's a courageous choice. Courageous. Right? Just yes. name it as, and it, I'm sure it doesn't feel courageous at the time. Mm-mm. I know it, 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 it hasn't for me. I, um, when now it seems so long ago. I mean, I'm I'm looking in a rear view mirror here, um, you know, gosh, <laughs> maybe 30 years ago now, um, when I when I was divorced, when when I had discovered infidelity and tried to figure out how to patch it up, that wasn't you know, and I kept praying to God to to repair my marriage, and the answer I received was no. And I didn't understand the no. And I didn't understand what could be after that. And I remember at one point in time being actually curled up in a fetal position in the corner of my bedroom, just crying. And um, in the midst of that, I felt the presence of the Holy Spirit so profoundly and just and and the verse came to came to mind that it was that oh now I'm at, lo- at a loss for the for the quote but the, the that the Holy Spirit joins us with with groanings that are deeper than the words, words. Mm-hmm. and I all of a sudden this verse that I had never really understood before it was like oh that's what that means. And what I'm hearing in 
this metaphor of of moving toward the darkness is in this in the the verse that you mentioned, Sybil, about the darkness is not dark to God. And that basically he's there too. And he can yes. see in the dark. He's present. He can see in the dark. And he knows that the sunrise is coming your way. And you can't imagine that in those times. You can't, you can't see past your own hand. <laughs> you can't see past your own nose sometimes to even believe that that could be true. But yet, it, it turns out that it does happen over time if we if we know how to grieve well mm-hmm. and we don't get those skills mm-hmm. other than going through it right or sometimes we are able to be with somebody who is grieving and we notice that something is going on in their lives that is that is remarkable, that is redemptive. Um, uh, I mean, I was I was deeply influenced in my life by um, missionaries, by Corrie Ten Boom, mm-hmm. and the way in which she faced in to deep grief and suffering personally during uh, her time in a concentration camp in uh, World War II. Um, I, I read the stories of people who suffered. That's what I was drawn to. And then I listened to how they responded. Mm-hmm. What did they do? Amy Carmichael, on her back for 20 years, unable to really move, and wrote some of her best work. I thought, I can read her. I can listen to her because she has really done what we're talking about with Jerry. She faced in to the darkness. She faced into the darkness and out of it, a beauty of words came forward Mm -hmm. that are sturdy, (laughs) that are life-giving. And one of the other places that is in our natural world is day and night. And uh, the, the, Paul says this to the young church at Rome. He says, you know, the invisible nature of God is made visible in creation. And so you look that night does not last forever. Mm-hmm. A new day comes. And so... And yet night comes again. Mm-hmm. And so there's a, there's a rhythm. The same is true of the seasons, right? Yes. We don't stay in winter in the Midwest yes. forever. Yes, right. <laughs> Spring will come. Yes. And so you see that bareness of winter and a longing, a longing for that which is way underground that will come forward. Mm-hmm. And the work that is being done in the midst yeah. of winter, you know, yes. underground, and what we can see in the in the bare trees yeah. that we didn't see before. But we live in a culture 
that doesn't really respect this work and and doesn't know how to do it. I think it's mostly they don't know how to do it. It's it's not something you learn and you don't want to talk about it. You try to to box it in. You try to go around it, I think is what yeah. happens quite often. So, yes, that's what we do with our roadways. We go around those who have less, for those of us mm-hmm. who have more. With our older members in our world or people with disabilities, we put them someplace that we mm-hmm. won't see them and have to face the um, inconvenience that we sometimes think that is to us, which is really not an inconvenience. It is something that would grow us. Um, We ask people in grief, and it can be divorce, can be a job, Mm -hmm. it can be the loss of someone dear to you. Um, You know, is life getting better? Are you you over this yet? Mm -hmm. Because we we don't want to sit in this place where there aren't need answers. Well, it's it's kind of like saying to someone who has experienced loss, I'm really ready for you to be over this because it's making me uncomfortable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and there's a um, and sometimes you don't even know you're saying that. No. Right. You just want to clean it up. It's why you give someone the box of Kleenex the minute they start crying. Right. Right, and I was I was at an event uh, this this past Friday night. It's called Baton Pass, and the idea of it is people who have experienced loss, grief, hurt, shame, whatever it is, telling their stories in short, you know, ten minute or so pieces of not only the loss but going through it and, and coming out the other side, basically as a way to help women that have experienced loss to know that they too can, there is a way through and um, that there is hope. And I think that there's a piece of that that is just, there were a lot of women there that just needed to be encouraged and found someone speaking a story that was maybe somewhat close to what theirs Mm -hmm. was. You know, but as I listened to one of the stories, which I knew because I, I knew one of the women, uh, two of the women that were speaking, and, and one of them just had experienced a very, very deep loss of an infant son when I met her. And um, as I listened to that part of the story again, I started crying. And it was funny that there was a person I didn't know sitting on my right, and she very quickly handed me the tissues. And, I, and, and it was just one of those, it was... It was so interesting because in even in the in the in the quickness of the gesture to do so, it was like, oh please, please hurry up and mop it up. <laughs> it was kind of how it felt. And it was a, it, it, I mean, she 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 meant it as an act of compassion, I'm sure. We don't know, but it was really, mm-hmm. and I was I was going to be okay, and I knew that, but it was just a really interesting little reminder of how quickly we move to to are, are are we moving in comfort or are we moving in a way that helps us feel more mm-hmm. comfortable mm-hmm. is a really interesting conundrum mm-hmm. in yes. the midst of that well <clears throat> in our culture again i would not say this of cultures around in different parts of the world 
Um, but we live in a very self-referenced culture. Mm-hmm. And so um, grief requires an aspect of being unself-referenced. It requires I don't have the answers. Mm-hmm. It requires really being quiet and listening or being present. Um, it requires not asking someone to get over it. Um, it has no timing on it. And you realize I am not in control. And I think I don't, I don't know if um, we're near a time of um, coming to a close on this, but I think that uh, that uh, next paragraph, Joan, giving myself might be a really good closure. Mm-hmm. It says, giving myself to grief proved to be hard as well as necessary. It happened in both spontaneous and intentional ways. I could not always determine the proper time and setting for tears, which occasionally came at unexpected and inconvenient moments, such as in the middle of a college class I was teaching or during a conversation. I was surprised to see how inoffensive that was to others. If anything, my display of grief invited them to mourn their own losses, and it made the expression of sorrow a normal and natural occurrence in daily life. Now, wouldn't that be beautiful if we all were able yes. to embrace grief in that way? Yes. And so he worked in a place where there was a sensitivity to that kind of um, to that kind of expression. But I know, um, you know, your husband worked in a place mm-hmm. where that was not. Uh, that was expressing not... any emotions was not <laughs> going to happen, let alone grief. It was much easier to walk around. And I, I would say he would say to people essentially avoided him. You could see them literally, literally physically walk another path yes. down the hallway. Yeah. So, um, so this was, um, you know, this was an unusual experience mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I hope it might become more usual for us who really are a part of listening to stories and, uh, and really a part of validating where someone is in their story. Yes. I'm so appreciative of the conversation. I love when our podcasts um, episodes are like this when we're around the table talking with each other. So thank you, Joan. You're welcome. And thank you, Sybil. Thank you. So once again, um, I hope that you might consider taking a look at A Grace Disguised by Jerry Sitzer. And this relates to the Valley Experiences map in the Listen to My Life materials. You can find out more about, about that in the outro that's about to be played on this episode as well at onelifemaps.com. We would love to invite you into the process of mapping your life story, not just your valleys, but also your peak experiences and um, the various different nuances of your story along the way that have shaped you and brought you to where you are and how you might decide to sort out your story, what to take with you, what to leave behind, how to live forward. So please join us on the journey. Um, We would love to have you do that with us. So thanks again. Bye-bye. 
Have you thought, I don't know myself anymore? Have you wondered, is there something more? Are you at a crossroads in life and asking, which way will lead me toward expressing more of who I am made to be? Are you looking for a way to understand the restlessness you feel inside? Are you seeking a deeper spiritual life and desire to rediscover who you are through God's eyes? You're ready for the life mapping experience of Listen to My Life. Go to onelifemaps.com to purchase your portfolio of visual life maps. While you're there, check out our upcoming virtual coaching groups, live workshops, and options for you to facilitate the Listen to My Life experience with others. That's onelifemaps.com. O-N-E-L-I-F-E-M-A-P-S.com.